Welcome to Speaking of Partnership, the show that brings you the personal partnership stories of experts from all walks of life so you can turn their stumbling blocks into stepping stones to healthy, long-lasting partnerships. I'm your host, Ken Bechtel. You know that the partnership game is not easy, but it's so worth it. If you're struggling with attracting or maintaining partnerships, go to speakingofpartnership.com right now, click on the big red button, and attend a free webinar on the secret to starting your ideal partnership today. Now, let me introduce you to today's guest. I'm super excited today to bring you our feature guest, Mirabai Starr. Mirabai, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Ken. It's wonderful to be with you. Oh, it's great to have you here. And for anyone who may not be familiar with Mirabai's work, let me just give you a little background and then we'll get started. Mirabai Starr writes creative nonfiction and contemporary translations of sacred literature. She taught philosophy and world religions at the University of New Mexico Taos for 20 years and now teaches and speaks internationally on contemplative practice and the interspiritual dialogue. As a certified bereavement counselor, Mirabai helps mourners harness the transformational power of loss. She has received critical acclaim for her revolutionary new translations of the mystics. She's the author of the award-winning book, God of Love, A Guide to the Heart of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And her newest book, Caravan of No Despair, a memoir of loss and transformation, received the Spirituality and Practice Best Books of 2015 Award. Mirabai lives in, with her extended family in the mountains of northern New Mexico. And Mirabai, do us a favor, if there's anything we missed in the intro, please fill that in. And then if you wouldn't mind giving us kind of a glimpse into how you got started doing the work that you do. Mm, yeah, I don't want to add anything to that very long um, <laughs> bio. <laughs> Remind me to edit it next time I have an interview. <laughs> okay. Um, but how I started with this work, you know, it, it's hard to pinpoint um, a particular aspect of my work uh, with regard to that question because I have a kind of a couple of different arenas in which I, I move. And um, one is that I've found myself in the sort of unlikely leadership position of being um, at, on the curve, riding this curve of the interspiritual movement, this impulse that I, I see happening all over the world, really, where people are opening their hearts to the presence of the sacred, of the mystery in all of the world's different spiritual traditions and, and no longer kind of relegating um, their their relationship uh, with God or or ultimate reality to one particular religious box. You know, there's this this fluidity. We see it in in gender and sexuality. We see it in in spirituality and religion. Um, that we find ourselves at home in a much larger world than we used to. And so I grew up in the counterculture, mostly of the you know, the 60s and 70s. And, and in, in that world, there was this uh, strong interest at the time in, in the United States anyway, um, and in the West in general, in Eastern spirituality. So my parents became interested in Hinduism and Buddhism and gurus and all of that and, and exposed us to many different 
religious flavors. <laughs> and so I was, my whole consciousness was kind of formed in that very open landscape spiritually. And so it kind of makes sense that that now um, I would find myself in this position of of being a spokesperson for the interspiritual uh, movement and, and inviting people to step into that bigger bigger space, right? And and then the other thing is is bereavement and um, approaching our profound life losses as opportunities for spiritual awakening really and um that's a hard thing to suggest to someone when they're in the middle of a traumatic loss of any kind but but it's something that many of us who and i know many of you are listening can relate who have experienced oh really radical losses deaths of of loved ones and so on can relate to this this feeling of holiness of sacred of sacred um, of grace that permeates the broken heart, and uh, and so that's another another kind of uh, place that I that my work unfolds. And my my memoir, Caravan of No Despair, has been getting a lot of attention because it kind of blends these things: my my interspiritual life, my countercultural upbringing, which was a little on the wild side, and this possibility of encountering the transformational power of grief and loss. Wonderful. Yeah, I, I, I love that phrase you used of opening hearts to the presence of the sacred. Mm. And what came up for me with that is I grew up in a Catholic household and as much as it frustrated my mom, because <laughs> she has a very strong spiritual connection with Catholicism, for me, it was all in my head. Yeah. And I had no connection to it. It was like, whatever, it's stuff. It's just words. It's just, you know, learn these things, say those things, do these things. And there wasn't any heart connection. It was about 20 years ago when I got introduced to spirituality on a totally different level. It was like, oh, this is a totally different thing. And it was mm -hmm. the most natural thing I'd ever experienced. Mm -hmm. It was just like, oh, this is like people are going, how long have you been doing this kind of work? I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Oh, really? Yeah, I had no idea. And they're like, oh, you're so attuned to this. I'm like, really? Okay, what's the this? And they'd tell me, I'm like, oh, okay, I don't know. I don't have words for it. I didn't have any of the language. I had never heard of a chakra or an aura or any of that stuff. And it was like, okay. I don't know. It just feels like home. It feels like home, exactly. And it's that ability to feel at home across the spectrum of sacred spaces, you know, in the different religions and spiritual traditions, that is the key, I think, to to healing um, this broken world. And you're a beautiful example of that that resonance, that di the heart that is disarmed and able to encounter directly what is real, which is love, really. Mm, thank you. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's it's interesting, too, as you were sharing more about how you got to the work you're doing and, and the combination of these two different arenas, because I, it's something that's always kind of been a question on my mind, I guess. So I don't think I've ever shared this on the show. My father died when I was 21, mm -hmm. and he was the 20th member of my family to pass away. Wow. So I spent my childhood going to funerals. Oh, my gosh. Like, probably from the time I was 10, 
when my grandmother passed away until my dad passed away. It was like two to three a year. Wow. And it was just like, it was so normal in my little town I grew up in in Illinois that I didn't even have to tell the teachers where I was going. Mm. I would just walk out the door because the funeral home was two blocks away, go to mm. the funeral, come back whenever I got back, and nobody even, they were just like, he's always going to funerals. <laughs> and I was in a small town. Everybody knew everybody and who was related and so on. Yeah. But that's always been a piece of like, why? I mean, I was stunned when I met people after, you know, I moved away and was like, what do you mean nobody's ever died in your family? Yeah, that's, that is stunning. It's hard to believe. I've also had so much death in my life. It, it, it just amazes me when people, full-grown adults, have mm -hmm. had little to none. Yeah. Yeah, so it's just, it's interesting. There's some parallels there, which I, I just wanted to point mm -hmm. out. And mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, because one of the things that, that I always ask my guests is, what do they find is a, like a guiding principle or a mantra or a quote or something that's, that acts as a touchstone in their life when they feel like they're getting off their track of partnership in whatever arena in their life? that they can always come back to and it brings them back on their, on their path. What's mm -hmm. yours? Uh, oh, it, you know, it, the one that the pops up is a, is a quote really about the transformational power of loss. It really doesn't have much of anything to do with um, partnership, but you know what? I know one that's just coming to me now. It's a roomy quote. There are love dogs no one knows the names of. Give your life to be one of them. And the context of that, of mm. that odd little quote is that, is that Rumi is talking about the connection between longing and union in a spiritual sense, mm -hmm. that when our hearts reach out in longing for connection with the beloved, which is a term that's used in the mystical traditions, especially Sufism and Judaism and Christianity, but really across the spiritual traditions, this notion of beloved as, as the divine is, is very common. But in that poem earlier, Rumi's talking about how when a dog cries for its master, when they're separated, that cry is the affirmation of their connection. And so we should want to be like those love dogs. We should give our lives to be one of them, that, that the, the cry of longing becomes the answering response of love. And, you know, we could take that from the, the ethereal, you know, metaphysical realms and right into our into our love relationships and just look, I mean, our, our human love relationships and look at that, the element of desire as being not a problem, but as, as the, the holy portal, you know, to, to connection. Um, and that's why I think so many couples have to put effort into working on keeping desire alive because just as with the spiritual connection, that spiritual longing becomes the very thing that leads to spiritual connection, I think desire for our earthly lovers becomes the opening to, to deeper intimacy. So I, I think it could, be, it could apply either way, this love dog business. That's yeah, all. I like that. I like that. I don't know if I've ever heard that particular quote. That's a wonderful quote. Mm -hmm. 
Nice. Well, Mirabai, one of the things that our listeners have told us they love about the show is how generous our guests are in sharing their own personal journeys and their stories. And mm -hmm. what I'd love to ask you to do is if you would take us to a time in your life when, well, you kind of tripped up in a partnership and, and just yeah. give us that story. You know, what were you doing? What did you trip up on? And then what did you learn from that experience that has helped you move forward? Mm. And this is um, in very much told this story in my in my memoir, Caravan of No Despair. But I will give you the thumb the thumbnail version. Okay. Which is that um, when I was very young, I was actually fifteen. I left home and moved to a to a kind of ashram, and in the ashram, um, I connected with one of the. The teachers, he was actually a self-proclaimed teacher, wasn't particularly acknowledged by anybody else but himself. Um, so I was 15 and he was uh, 40. And he decided that uh, I was some kind of divine being that had come to earth to you know, bless the world. Mm -hmm. And that it was his particular task to awaken me to my true spiritual purpose. And um, after a while, and so, but my my job was to to obey everything he told me to do unequivocally. You know, to do whatever he said if I wanted to have the spiritual awakening that was necessary mm -hmm. for which I had come to Earth. And of course, after a little while, it became clear to him that part of that initiation was for me to have sex with him. And so I did because I so much wanted enlightenment and to be the incarnation of the Divine Mother here on Earth, which is what he promised. Mm -hmm. So this went on for a number of years, um, secretly, because obviously he knew that if anyone knew that he'd be in big trouble. This was the, the 70s, so things were a little bit more flexible, but, but clearly it was not okay, or the world wouldn't see it, as he said, um, wouldn't see how, how sacred and important this was. They wouldn't understand. So fast forward, um, after having this secret affair with him for a number of years, he had a, a wife and, and kids my own age. Um, finally, he left his wife and um, asked me to marry him, but made us pretend that we had suddenly noticed now that I was 21, that, you know, we were interested in each other as, as equals. So I married him and I stayed married to him for, uh, for almost 10 years. And then I was finally able to extricate myself from that relationship. Obviously, a lot went on during that time. Um, but that was by far the biggest um, stumble <laughs> I've ever made in a relationship. And I learned a great deal. Um, I've been able to help mentor other young women who have found themselves in similar situations. So that's that's the good that's come of it. Um, not to mention two beautiful children that that we adopted. So, yeah, that's the that's the little version of a very juicy, complicated story. Yes, wow, that's that's such an interesting, you know, path because clearly everybody's got various versions where they were like, um, maybe they were kind of coerced into something, or there was a promise. A lot of times, that's the thing, right? There's this. The potential yeah of some form in a relationship right mm -hmm. and oftentimes that's what intrigues us is their potential or right. our potential mm. as yes. opposed to that's... having the relationship in the moment right right so it lures us into 
making compromises that that really aren't aligned with our true spirit or um but where or our own true desire heart's desire but we we make a deal we cut a deal with the universe and it often if we're not if we're not really listening to our hearts those deals are going to backfire but they also teach us don't they absolutely absolutely yeah and that's you know it's it's such an interesting thing because I, I I oftentimes when I'm working with with you know couples or women and and they've ended a relationship, my advice is you know, well, figure out what the gift is and just let the rest go. It's kind of like you know, the holiday somebody gives you a gift. Well, when we first receive it, we think the whole thing is the gift, but yeah. then we open up the box and we take off the wrapping paper and we take out the tissue paper and we find out what's inside, and then suddenly all that stuff we thought was all the gift. We don't care about mm. that was just the vehicle to right. get us to the gift and mm. we don't sit there and go oh i'm gonna go save the wrapping paper in the box and keep that too yeah we're just like okay that's what was necessary to get me to this gift mm -hmm. but i just let it go and if we can do the same thing with our relationships and go well what was the actual gift inside mm -hmm. and let the rest of it go just like we do with the wrapping paper in the box then we can actually have the gift instead of going but what about all that other stuff mm. and being caught up in what wasn't the purpose? What wasn't the reason you were there? Great metaphor, Ken. Oh, thank you. Yeah, sometimes, you know, it comes to me. <laughs> that one yeah. just, I was like, that's exactly what we do. So, yeah, yeah no, thank you. So I want to ask you a slightly different story. It's very nuanced, if you will. But what I'm wondering is if there's an example you can give us of a time in your life when you had kind of, I guess I'll call it a dumb moment, right? Where suddenly you were, you, it came to light and you went, I can't believe I've missed this for so long. How, how did I miss this? And then share with us what, what, you know, what were you able to do with that wake up moment and turn it into a building block for your, for your future? And specifically related to relationships? It could be, or it could be any form of, of wake up. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, you know, there was, we, we've already talked about how both you and I have experienced a kind of inordinate amount of losses in our life of, yeah. of deaths of loved ones in particular. And, um, and so I think I went around for many years feeling kind of special because I had experienced so much loss and really a great deal of suffering. My brother died of cancer when I was seven and he was 10. Mm. Um, my first boyfriend was killed in a gun accident when we were 14. Um, my, there have been many profound experiences of loss culminating in, in the death of my, of my teenage daughter, Jenny, when she was 14 in a car accident when I was 40 which catapulted me into a completely different universe of loss. Uh, none of the others even compared, even including the loss of my beloved father when I was fairly young. But um, so it was very tempting for me to see myself as this kind of rarefied being who had endured and been transformed by these, these experiences of radical loss and all of the spiritual experiences I had, some related to, to death and some not. But there was a certain point 
where I finally looked around at my life um, when I was actually in a p- place of particular pain with my one of my teenage daughters being extremely difficult. And I just felt like, God, you know, my life is so hard. What is this incarnation I've been given? That's why is it so fraught with with suffering? And then I in the same breath, it was like this voice came to me and said, guess what, Mirabai? This is the human experience. You are not special. (laughs) This is just your version of it. It is unique and it's beautiful in its own way and it's hard in its own way. But it is it is the the thing that connects you with all other human beings and in fact all of life and you join in this um, stream or maybe this net of interdependent souls who are experiencing uh, life and it is a privilege to be part of it and and it's really no, nothing new by nobody special, as my friend Ramdas used to say. It's just another human incarnation. And welcome, welcome to the human family. So at the same moment, it was just one of those epiphanies. I think I was folding laundry at the time. You know, nothing special. <laughs> it was something that really penetrated because in the same moment that I was feeling like, man, my life is so hard, um, I got that it's just a version of of the human experience and it isn't special it isn't unique and yet it's blessed you are you belong here it was like the sense of homecoming at the same time that it got me off my high horse hmm yeah thank you for sharing that because it's funny i never thought of it in those terms but when you said you know i kind of thought i was something special i got exactly what you were talking about mm-hmm. and I, I, it was almost like, um, like I was ahead of the pack because everybody was going to have to deal with this, but I've already done it 20 times. Right. So I'm somehow advanced, right? Yeah. But you're right. I mean, when you boil it down, it's just part of being human. It's the cycle. Everybody has different variations on it, but that's part of being here is that in a physical form, we're going to, we're going to lose these bodies at some point. And so really tremendous i i really love that because it is it's like oh i mean yes i have a unique story i have a unique path but it doesn't make me special in like a hierarchy type of status i'm just right just me and so exactly and so instead of deflating me that realization made me feel safe and um connected nice Mm -hmm. yeah no that's beautiful thank you so I want to switch gears a little bit because we've been talking about kind of some trip ups and, and things that haven't gone so well in the past or wake ups. And, and what I'd like to know is what's a story of one of your what I call proudest moments in partnership? And again, this could be, you know, romantic, family, career, whatever area. But what's one of those times when you you think back on a, a partnership and you're like, that was so cool. Mm. Well, I'm happy to say after my sad story about the abusive spiritual charlatan um, (laughs) that I am in a very happy, healthy marriage and and we're going on 20 years this summer. Nice. So, um, yes, just in case anyone was worried that that former experience has long since been redeemed. (laughs) And um, I will tell you that there was this 
huge opening for me when I met Jeff. He was none of the things that I had always looked for in relationships because in between my first um, <clears throat> terrible, tragic <laughs> marriage and meeting him, I did experience what I should have experienced as a teenager, which was a number of different kinds of relationships with a number of different people. And um, it was good to experiment that uh, with all of that. But I was always drawn to kind of the bad boy on a bike, you know. Men. <laughs> and Jeff was... Uh, plus, after being with this other guy who was 25 years older than me, I did not want to be with anyone who was older. I wanted to be with someone my own age or maybe even younger. Jeff was 12 years older than me, so I rejected him right away. And he was way too nice. Um, he was kind of all, all of those qualities that I looked for in these other edgy, artistic, philosophical, tortured souls that I was that I was attracted to. Mm -hmm. He didn't have any of those. He was a grown-up. He was solid. He was kind. He was warm. He was easygoing. He's a surfer. And there was just everything about him. Um, he had he embodied all the qualities that I was overlooking as I was seeking for this other kind of archetype. <laughs> and when I finally surrendered, because he was he was very gentle and very available and just somehow he he won my heart and I went out on that first date, you know, and and then it turned out that he was anything but boring, which was what I equated with kind and caring and available. <laughs> and so I realized that my impulse, what I was um, attracted to was the opposite of what was what I needed and what would make me happy. And so now <laughs> I have given this advice to many people, women and and men that if you're having a hard time finding your match, someone to meet your heart and your body and your soul, it's quite possible that what you think is you want is, is not what you need. Um, and that you should look in the unexpected places and that's where you may find your beloved. And that certainly happened for me. And he turned out to be everything that, that I would have hoped to find in those other uh, people except maybe the tormented artist part because he's not tormented he's <laughs> quite content that is such a great story i just made a note here it says best description ever <laughs> <laughs> of what i call feelings versus form uh-huh great because we get so connected to like you said oh he's got to be this type of person and he's got to have this edge and he's got to have this you know behavior and ride a bike and all these different things and then the person that really makes your heart sing is nothing like that. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you said it so well. You said you had to surrender. And what instantly filled in my brain when you said that was the control. Yes. Exactly. The idea that you knew the recipe. Mm. Yes, exactly. Because clearly the universe has a lot more going on in its cookbook than we do. Yes. And I give thanks every day. Yeah. That's a great example. Thank you. And congratulations, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. So, I don't mean to keep plugging my book, but I really describe that story in the book, and it's a lot of people's favorite parts. Nice. That's okay. You can plug your book. I, I, <laughs> Thank I, you. I, I, won't, I won't ban you. <laughs> so, Mirabai, we've actually arrived at a part of the show I call the Bring It All Home portion, and this is where we're going to step away from stories. And I'm going to ask you to provide some just simple concrete guidance for the listeners that they can 
instantly take home and apply in their life. And where I want to start is I'm wondering what would you say is the best either partnership or relationship advice that you've ever received? Mm. Oh, the best relationship advice. I'm glad you can edit this again. <laughs> no problem. Edit this earlier. Um, okay. I'd say the best relationship advice that I've ever received is to make sure that your partner's spiritual um, orientation is aligned with yours, which doesn't mean if you're a Christian, he can't be a Jew, or if you're an atheist, she shouldn't um, be a believer. What it means is that our spiritual lives are so fundamental to who we are that if we try to make it work when there are wildly uh, different ways of viewing and and activating spirituality in our lives, it's probably going to be missing one of the key ingredients. So in other words, for me, my I met my husband um, in my spiritual community, which is a, a kind of um, Hindu chanting community, the Neem Karoli Baba uh, lineage, and that was something he'd been involved with also for decades. So there was a certain kind of vocabulary that we shared that was that did not require explanation. We had this fundamental um, connectedness on a spiritual level that has continued to be the core of our relationship, even though we don't talk about it. It's just it's just something we rest in. So that I think is is super important. I see couples who who have very different spiritual lives, and I think that there is a, a lack of intimacy um, that they suffer from that that creates more, um, I don't know, disconnect in their relationship than they wish they had. And, and I think that's super important now for people who already are in a relationship with wildly different spiritual outlooks. You know, I don't mean to, to cast a shadow on that. I know you've probably found your way, but that's, if you're looking to get into one, I, I feel it's important to share some core spiritual values. Yeah, thank you for that. And and I I like the fact that you made that distinction that it doesn't mean like you have to be in the same religious belief. Right. It's spiritual values. Yes, much deeper than religion, religious identi identity. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Thank you. Well, Mirabai, we're going to ask this question as a, a adjunct to the work that you've done and the books that you've written. What I want to know is, is there another book or a resource that you would recommend to our listeners and why that particular one? Um, for guidance on relationship? Yes. Yes. I think the, for me, the greatest um, handbook for romantic interpersonal relationship is poetry. Poetry across the board, but especially mystical poetry from the various spiritual traditions. Sufi, the Sufi mystical poetry of, of Rumi and Hafiz, the Hindu mystical poetry of Lala and Mirabai, my namesake, um, the ancient sort of erotic scriptures of the Song of Songs and some of the 
um, the Sufi literature and the Hindu literature that so beautifully express this metaphor of lover and beloved. Uh, so yes, I I find that it's it's an aphrodisiac, it's a guidebook, it's um, affirmation, and it's provocative, but mystical poetry across the traditions and contemporary many contemporary poets who wouldn't call themselves spiritual poets, but but very much are, such as uh, Mary Oliver, um, are and and poets like Rilke, the German poet. These are all ways of evoking that heart space that connects us, connects us to the divine, connects us with our with our partners, with our potential partners. So yes, mystical poetry, poetry of, of any kind that's that's good poetry, is the best book I know of. And it's not one book, obviously. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. Mm, sure. Well, Unfortunately, Mirabai, we've, we've kind of reached the end of our time, and I know our listeners are just getting started. They're just like, ooh, who is this woman? And she's amazing, and I want to know more. So could you, you let our listeners know just how they can contact you and learn more about what you do? Oh, of course. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Uh, the best way would be my website, and that's mirabaistar.com. It's M-I-R-A-B-A-I-S-T-A-R-R.com. And I would love to, if you pop on over there and and uh, press the button to sign up for my mailing list, we'll keep in touch. I just finished right before this interview writing um, a newsletter about my spiritual promiscuity. So um, it's it promises to be a, a juicy little tidbit from time to time. Nice. And if somebody's out there trying to scramble and grab a pen and paper, don't worry. We're going to put this link on the show page for Mirabai's interview. So all you have to do is go to speakingofpartnership.com, type in Mirabai's name, and you'll see the links there. It'll be really easy for you to get in contact with her. Well, Mirabai, thank you again. Your stories, your insights, absolutely incredible. I, I'm certainly aligned with so much you were saying. I know a lot of listeners are out there going, where's this woman been hiding? I love her. So mm -hmm. thank you again for being on the show today. Thanks so much, Ken, for your, your very um, rich and meaningful questions. You're very welcome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening to Speaking of Partnership. Head over to speakingofpartnership.com for links and recaps of every show and so much more. Be sure you catch the bonus stories from our guests on Follow Your Yes Friday. It's easy to do. Just go to your favorite podcast directory, search for Speaking of Partnership, and click subscribe. Like what you hear? Leave us a rating and review on Stitcher or iTunes. The greatest compliment you can give the show is to refer us to someone else either in person or on the web. Have a great day. And remember, even when you stumble, you're still moving forward. Peace.